What's up, Stitches? Welcome to So What, the podcast about historic needlework with me, your excitable friend, Isabella Rosner. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series about Erica Wilson, one of the most important people in the world of 20th century embroidery business and design. Erica Wilson earned the nicknames the Julia Child of Embroidery and America's First Lady of Stitchery. While the first episode in this series was an interview with Erica Wilson's right-hand woman, Edith Borier, this episode is an interview with Vanessa DeSario, Erica's daughter, and Dr. Anne Hilker, the co-curator of the virtual exhibition Erica Wilson, A Life in Stitches, and co-author of a book of the same name. Last episode, we talked about Erica Wilson as a business person, and this episode, we focus on Erica Wilson's legacy. I gotta tell you about Vanessa and Anne and all the other figures in the world of Erica Wilson, but first, short little social media spiel time. You can see images of what we discuss in today's episode, as well as links to everything, at So What Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on our website, SoWhatPodcast.com. Yay! Delight! Okay, let me begin by telling you about Erica Wilson. For those of you who listened to part one of this series, this will be familiar to you. According to the exhibition and co-curated with Linda Eaton, who I will talk about in a few moments, quote, Erica Wilson, 1928 to 2011, was arguably the most successful embroidery designer, teacher, and entrepreneur in America during the second half of the 20th century. This superlative achievement was nurtured and encouraged by her husband, the renowned mid-century modern furniture designer Vladimir Kagan, 1927 to 2016. Together, they created a highly successful business, all branded under the name Erica Wilson, that included books, kits, a television program, and retail shops. Erica's embroidery designs, sometimes based on historical patterns and techniques, were well-suited to the sensibilities of the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Erica's presence as the expert on all things needlework was larger than life, end quote. If you were doing needlework in America in the 20th century, chances are you were influenced by Erica Wilson, whether you knew it or not. Erica was a super successful designer and businesswoman in and of herself, but her success was also furthered by her husband, Vladimir Kagan, and her principal teacher, Edith Borier. And who are today's guests, Vanessa and Anne? Funny you should ask. Vanessa DeSario is one of Erica Wilson's three children and the owner of the Erica Wilson shop on the island of Nantucket, which is situated 30 miles off the coast of Massachusetts. And I talked about it last episode. Go take a listen if you haven't already. In the 1970s, Erica opened her first store on the island. Before Erica passed away on the 13th of December 2011, she worked side by side with Vanessa. Over the years, Vanessa has worked to turn the shop into a destination for unique fashion, custom designs, and collaborations with designers from around the globe, as well as needlework kits and supplies. The shop, which also includes several pieces of furniture designed by Vladimir Kagan, draws needlework enthusiasts from near and far. Anne Hilker is a writer, historian, and lifelong embroiderer. Between 2013 and 2015, she inventoried some 3,000 items created by Erica Wilson during her career. She co-authored with Linda Eaton, Erica Wilson, A Life in Stitches, published by Wintertour Museum in 2020. 
She holds a doctorate from the Bard Graduate Center and a master's degree from Parsons and Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum. Prior to that, she practiced law in California and New York as a trusts and estates lawyer for 25 years. She lives in New York City. Linda Eaton, who I just mentioned here and who we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, was a highly respected and universally loved curator of textiles at the Winterthur Museum, Garden, and Library. She passed away last year, and those involved in museums and textiles and those far outside of either of those feel her loss. The exhibition I mentioned at the beginning of this episode and last episode is the result of the hard work of Anne Hilker and Linda Eaton, and I think it's a beautiful testament to Erica Wilson's influence on contemporary needlework and Linda's influence on the study of textiles. There's a link to it across all the So What social media pages and website. And now that I've talked to your ear off, let's get into the interview. Anne and Vanessa, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to talk to you both. Okay. Thank you so much for having us. We are so excited to be here. How do you both know Erica Wilson? And Vanessa, since you're the one who's bigger on my screen right now, why don't you start? (laughs) Well, Erica Wilson was my mother. So (laughs) I have known her for forever. (laughs) Um, She's still in my heart every day. I think of my mother and miss her so much, but I'm so happy to be carrying on her legacy by carrying on uh, with her needlework and growing her product, showing it to the world and having her store available now online, which is exciting as well. So the Nantucket store, which I've been running for years is now um, having a lot of the same, the product on the website as well. Um, And yeah, that's how I know Erica. To me, she was mom. You know, to the rest of the world, she was Erica Wilson. But for me, she was mom. And we didn't really realize that she was celebrity until sort of we got out into the real world as young adults or younger children uh, and would be traveling and people would recognize her. And that was like, wow, you'd be in the most obscure place in Scotland in a little general store. And the woman would come running out behind the counter and and give her a hug and be, oh my God, Erica Wilson is in my store. And they'd be so excited. And we were looking at her like, what are you saying? This is just our mom. That is so cool. I I think from my outsider's point of view, that sounds pretty rad. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) And and you, what's your story? Well, mine is less of a story. (laughs) Um, I got to know Erica through her kits. Mm. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles and one day my mom, speaking of mothers, took me, and I can't remember how that quite happened, but I, we wound up in a needlework store and I gravitated toward Erica's kits. And that was how I learned to stitch. And so when we were on the road, when I was um, 10 or 12, we would drive and everywhere I remember looking for Erica Wilson kits and usually finding them. Um, so I got to know her. I had known her a very long time in my head <laughs> by the time I actually got to meet her, which was only briefly twice at her Hilton Head needlework seminar. She had one of the things that she did so well was uh, seminars uh, mostly in the garden in the Nantucket house, but also at these destinations 
uh, and I, I, when I was working, I went twice um, to an Erica Wilson needlework seminar, and I there I met both Edie and Erica for about thirty seconds each time. Celebs, what you gonna so do? That was it. it. Until then, um, I met Vladdy and Vanessa in twenty thirteen. We were we were so fortunate and so happy Anne came into our lives because she had such a she brings such an expertise um and the just the saddest part was that Anne wasn't starting her work about <laughs> Erica when Erica was alive because it would have, <laughs> my mother would have been so happy and it would have just you know made her day to know that that everything was being cataloged and and recorded for for the sake of history that she she would have been it was pretty good it was pretty great to know you and and your dad so yeah we, we were lucky we don't, that, that don't my dad was around that. for so many years <laughs> with you that was just great kind, kind of know erica by osmosis that's yes you I do agree. yes you do okay and that resulted in the online exhibition and the book is that correct um that's a, no. a straight line. It's, okay. It was a little longer than that because a very important part of that work was meeting through Vladdy and Vanessa, Linda Eaton at mm-hmm. Winter Bear. And through Linda's work, um, Vladdy made a very generous gift of many of Erica's pieces to Winter Tour. And then came along the exhibition and the book. So things are never, you know, straight down the road, <laughs> they, wow. they, they take a little while to, to generate. So that was a very fortunate thing that came out of that. And it's really sad to have lost Linda, so. Totally, this is, I feel like already what we're talking about is what I was hoping the theme of this conversation would be, which is legacy. And mm-hmm. I think that this conversation I'm hoping will be a suitable legacy, a, just a little part of one for both Erica and Linda. These two very different, but also very similar needlework textile powerhouses in their own ways. And that even though they're not here anymore, that our conversation about the work that they created and the ripples that they made can still be felt. So I just brought up this idea of legacy and I'm doing that because This is part two of the Erica Wilson extravaganza series, two parts. I'm going to view that as an extravaganza. And in the first part, Edie Borier talked about Erica Wilson as a business person and her role as kind of her right-hand woman of sorts. So I want to talk to you both about the world of Erica Wilson beyond her lifetime, because you both are testaments to the, the impact she has had. So this is a gigantic question, but what do you think Erica Wilson's legacy is? I'll start. Okay. Definitely, because everything about Erica to me speaks to right now, and it only did more so when we got COVID. Mm. Because I'll, I'll kind of do this backwards. Erica's exhibition was going to be at Winterthur with not just the pieces that Laddie donated, but with a host of others that Vanessa and her siblings had loaned to Winterthur for a physical exhibition, which, as you know, with needlework, is extremely important to see it and to get a notion of the scale and what it really looks like. So the museum, of course, had to go online with this exhibition. 
And when I found out about that, I, I, there's an old word that my generation uses, which is really, that's bummed. (laughs) (laughs) But it turned out to be, as I thought more about it, the perfect way to remember Erica, because Erica reached out in a way that took advantage of distance. It was not limited by distance. And particularly needlework, we think of as something that really needs to be communicated in person, side by side. And what she taught us was that it doesn't. Mm. Um, She innovated lots of ways of showing remotely her television show, in her books. She would never have thought that you had to be in person. And Vanessa will confirm this, but her and I'm sure Edie said this too, her huge and most, and her original talent was in teaching, but she didn't think of it as in-person teaching. She she taught in all kinds of ways. And so as we progress toward COVID and in and out of COVID, and we see more and more embroiderers taking to online platforms, Erica is right there. And I'm sure Erica would be saying, no, no, your reels doesn't look very good. You have to show, <laughs> you have to show better how to do this. You have to mm-hmm. make it easy to do. You have to give better cues. You, have, you can't just put a camera on what you're doing. She would have thought about all of that. Well, that's what, to me, that's what stands out. Great answer. I so, want to go for it, yeah. I do. I, I think just to, to carry on a little bit of mm-hmm. what Anne's saying, I, I, I feel like, um, just, you know, she was in her eighties when she passed away. Um, and even to that point was still working. And her biggest dream was to broaden her scope, um, on the internet, even though she couldn't type and she couldn't, um, you know, she wasn't really computer literate, I would say, (laughs) but obviously she, you know, she'd look over my father's shoulder and she Mm. knew, you know, everything, but it was, you know, she felt really strongly about taking what she did and being able to get it around the world because she knew the demand and the, uh, just from doing her tours that like Anne spoke about, Anne used to go, you know, she, she did have these seminars at, in Nantucket, but she also did seminars all around the world. I mean, she would go and do it in England or she'd be in California and she'd do visits in, you know, the Midwest or Texas and um, travel and teach. And so she, she was such a great, designer, but she was really such a great businesswoman. And I think this was what was so much so interesting about Anne's book, really talking about her entrepreneurship, um, which was so unusual at, at that period of time for women. Um, but she really did have that vision where she knew that, you know, we need to get this online. And she saw what her television shows did and, and how that being able to, to offer that to such a broad spectrum of people to be able to offer her, you know, her instruction. So she really was excited about being on the website. So it was really just such a thrill to be able to continue that now, knowing that she would be so happy. Um, uh, and just that her legacy really does continue and, and is so broad across so many, so many ages. And I'll run into people or people will come into the store and tell me, 
you know, women who've started their own needlework businesses. And they all have told me, I would never have done this if it wasn't for your mother. She really, she got me started. She, you know, she got me started teaching. And then that gave me the the strength and, and ability to like start my own business. And, and that's such a great legacy, you know, to take this thing needlework, which, you know, one would think of as sort of like a home craft, but really to create businesses out of them. And so many people and women have now um, and a lot thanks to her. Yes. It's that exponential growth of in the 20th century, her name was synonymous with needlework. And because of that, it's just exploded. So you have innumerable people doing something similar in their own way because of her and what she did. I was talking to Edie about this in her, in my conversation with her. And she was talking a lot about, you know, going on, like they took an Erica Wilson trip to China and like to England and they had, you know, her correspondence courses. And I was saying to her, and you'll hear it in the episode, it's like Erica Wilson, basically she began everything that is central and so important to needlework businesses today. She was the first to do those correspondence courses and basically led to the internet usage for needlework. The grammar there was crazy, but that's fine. And she, you know, she started these tours and those tours still happen today. If you look up needlework tours on Google, you'll get so many. And it's like everything that we know of as um, needlework as an industry comes from her. I think she she was the blueprint, wasn't she? She was. I I couldn't have said it better. Thanks. <laughs> and I think actually, and you did say it um, when you called her the first needlework influencer because she really oh. was the first needlework influencer. Totally, totally. When you were both talking, I was thinking about that question. I ask this question to every single person, and I will ask it to you both later. Uh, what is the role of needlework in today's world? Up until now, I hadn't really realized that so much of the role of needlework in today's world when it comes to people at home hobby stitchers or career stitchers so much of that and how they do it comes from this one person and so much of the role of needlework in today's world is predicated on erica wilson which is so crazy (laughs) it really is amazing it's it's amazing i just want to throw in two cents here because um what what the first chapter in the book that and this was linda's work um talked about what was it that Erica arrived to in 1954? And when you look at that, it was, at least in the States, predominantly needlepoint. Right. And I was so amazed to learn that, really, um, because in light of Cruel, I think of, and oh, the needlepoint people will be very mad at me, but <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a little boring. Mm. And, and I think it has some, you know, limitations on what you can do and all of that. I know don't send letters, but, um, (laughs) but what she brought was this really new and it wasn't new in England, of course, but it was new to the United States. And one of the amazing things Vladdy told me, Vanessa, and you may remember this was, he said, you know, the great thing about cruel work was there was no background. (laughs) Yes, You know, it was a bunch of things, and Erica was so down to earth with it that she knew how to run with all of that mm-hmm. on top of being an excellent teacher. So it was it it wasn't hers to 
it wasn't her, hers easily, but it was hers to innovate and, and to run forward with, which she did so beautifully. True. And your point about needlepoint makes me realize that that is so Victorian. For like 110 years, basically, everybody was doing, you know, home stitchers were doing this one sort of stitch. And Erica Wilson comes in and fought for it, but she basically re-expanded the needlework vocabulary for domestic stitchers. Get it, girl. Yes. I know. I feel like she adored doing cruel and she was so renowned for cruel. And and I think you're right, and she like the needlepoint is a little boring. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Can you say that because I do it all. I, that's all I do. Oh, I, do so I do it too. That's all I do. And, and the repetitive nature is very meditative. And I love <laughs> that about it. So that's great. But when you look at my mother's needlework, it's filled with so many colors, so many more colors than people use today in their designs and what people are doing today. She, it was, and when she was stitching, cause she stitched on a frame, she'd have so many threads started because she really paid, you know, stitched like it, like it was a painting um, and would add a few stitches of the blue and then pull that up and then add the green and, and, and work all these colors in together. I don't stitch like that, but that was really, I think just her creative genius. Um, and I don't think she used a lot of background because she filled the thing. So there wasn't a lot of background. So the design would be filled with whatever it was doing. Amidst all of this, what I find so interesting is she basically like, she made, needlework was never uncool. And I don't like the narrative that it was ever, that it's lame, but made many types of needlework very cool again. But what I like so much about it is that she oftentimes made it really hip and trendy using historical stitching techniques and motifs. And motifs. uh, And that, as somebody who studies historic needlework, that's my thing. I like all of it, obviously, but the fact that she took historic imagery and basically rejudged it for the 20th century market and that those kits are still being some of them are still being produced like the impact i love i love that she basically uh blended together the past and the present to create a future you should copyright that as well. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna tattoo it on my forehead i'm just gonna walk okay. around just just loud and proud what are your favorite pieces of embroidery stitched or designed by Erica Wilson? What are the pieces closest to your heart? It's Vanessa's turn to go first. I'm going to go first on that. And <laughs> that is a really hard question. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you I mean, really, it as well. It, it shouldn't be that hard, but it's really hard. We grew up with a few pieces that are sort of that were in our bedroom and she I don't know she did <laughs> that are just so sweet and from and from the 60s and have and she was so cute with little animals and I remember she did a um a director's chair that was like a little children's director's chair and it had my name on it so I mean obviously that one's sort of near and dear to my heart I adore that um, but I can't even tell you where it is anymore. And um, so I couldn't even give you a picture to, to share. For our Nantucket shop, she did this wonderful Nantucket rose-covered garden. She did several of those. And they are so sweet. And they really captured Nantucket in such a painterly way. 
Um, those are probably that one. And there's a foggy island one she did of Nantucket that's just this foggy background. And what's been really fun to see about those ones coming back into the shop is that everyone has their own personality to them because they're not stitch painted. They're really painterly. So when you see everybody's work come back from from the the rose covered cottage and the and the um foggy island and there's some people fishing in the background and they they just have so much personality which i i think is wonderful so those were probably top favorites but then i also i've had this piece it has so many different stitches in it and it's like such a typical 70s um patchwork quilted patchwork of all these different stitches and colors and some um, turkey work and bullion knots. Uh, I don't know. This is this one. I just think is so like of its time that I love it. That one is cruel point, right? That you're this is cruel point. Absolutely, yeah. this is cruel point. And I think I think Antiques Magazine had it on the cover. Do you remember? And oh. there was an Antiques Magazine or Art and Antiques or something. It's art and Antiques. I. I'm yeah. sure that was in the story. I can't remember what was on the cover. It was It was a but great it, article. And I think that also was the Cruel Point Correspondence Course. I yes. Think. Yes, it might have been the Cruel Point Correspondence it's Course. It's got several different versions. So anyway, it's it's a, but it's a, it's great. That's such a classic, like, 70s. It is. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I love, I love all the different, you know, it really has so many different stitches. Um and colors and 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 you just you know how she came up with that I don't know it's really unbelievable and I mean I don't know how you can pick a favorite but you yes, try <laughs> this is a hard question so I I have been thinking about this okay um I have two pieces I used to say I had one okay but the the one that I have always loved just from the moment I saw it and I think I first saw it in the when I was doing the inventory, I don't think I had seen it before, but it's a pomegranate tree and it's done in silk. I think it's silk and cotton and gold work. But what Erica did was make it her own, of course, by making it very squat and contemporary. And then the pomegranates are, of course, cruel work is always out of scale anyway, but the pomegranates in this tree are just they're really large and the leaves are just really shooting out from the tree. And it, it looks almost like a, you know, an energetic cactus, but it's a pomegranate tree and the color it's, it's really wonderful for two things. It's colors are wonderful. It's kind of soft sage green and a like baby pink with gold. It's always just struck me. And then the, um, the trunk, I think, is old work basket, basket weave, I think. Lovely. And then each of the pomegranates is stylized, but done in a different kind of gold work motif. And that one actually is in the exhibition that's online. Um, so that one is will have an image. But I've always thought that was just a wonderful Erica symbol because of the traditional techniques, but new colors and a new form of expression, artistic expression in the shape. So that's that's one. And the second one is one actually that I've, I've given talks about when I was first working on Erica. It's, um, Vanessa knows this one, it's Peaceable Kingdom. Oh, and that yeah. was a very yes. popular kit from 1972. Yes. 
But the more I've thought about it, it's really stuck with me. And I was trying to figure out why. Um, first of all, it's an adaptation, which is something that Erica was so good at. And adaptation does not mean copying. Mm. Adaptation means making it your own in a way that is more suitable to the medium you're working in. And this was a painting by Edward Hicks from about 1850. He did a number of these compositions. But if you look at the original oil paintings, they, these are somber animals. Mm -hmm. And the ones in the kingdom have these wonderful, smiley face. Not character. Their faces are so great. Characters, in the lovely eyes characters. And yes. You would like to meet every one of those animals. Yes. 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 <laughs> and they're all sitting together in an impossible setting. You know, they would never be that way. But they all look so happy. And then color. That. I think that kid I counted up had 34 colors, which is unusual for a marketed kid then, now, ever. Totally. And the number of stitches was always in that kit was astonishing. Um, so it's something that I think has really come to me to symbolize what she was able to do. And then I think she issued it in needlepoint too. So that it was, she was able to, really make new statements with with old things and and not in not what we think of that as oh this is derivative it wasn't at all it was her work and it really is a testament to what she was able to accomplish both as an artist and as a, as a stitcher and that's online too that's in the online exhibition Absolutely. Great answers, everybody. Great objects. Uh, Peaceful Kingdom is especially close to my heart because I'm doing a PhD in Quaker art. So uh, it's, it's, I study up until 1800 and I study women uh, and mostly Quaker needlework, but that one is very close to my heart because it's that it's the adaptation. She does take a very typically quite what is considered historically Quaker, quite dour, lovely, but you know, uh, it's somber to me. It's very somber. It's a, it's a somber thing, but she's made a joy film. Joy yeah. film. One of the things I love so much, and you've both touched on this, is color. And I think that's like also, I mean, it's all coming back to the legacy because that's the theme I've chosen for this. But I also think that it's relevant for this, that, you know, and you've said it multiple times, she's taking traditional techniques, but making them her own. And I think that that's one of my favorite things about her work and her kits is I study historic needlework and I love it very much. But one of the things that's lost over the course of centuries is color. So I occasionally you'll get a little glimpse of how bright something could be if it was made in 1650, 1700. But for the most part, things are much more muted. But with Erica Wilson's kits and her own works, allows me to imagine what how bright the past was in terms of stitching and I won't be able to get that back you can't go back in time to see how bright this stuff was but you can see Erica's oftentimes friendlier and more joyful visions of the past her own kind of iterations of that and you can imagine you can see in front of you this beautiful art but you can also use that to imagine the stitching that came before it and I just appreciate her art her work so much for that because not only is it vibrant in and of itself but it gives a vibrancy to centuries of stuff that came before i love that 
Thanks. That's really just, wonderful. It's like just so nice that her her gold is still shining, right? That gold work is so she uses, yeah. you were talking about it with the pomegranates. It's, you know, it's those big patches of gold and it they shine and they're so vibrant. And you can see how they kind of shine in different ways with different stitches. And I have to remember that like Opus Anglicanum, many, many centuries ago, a millennia ago, even, you know, they were doing something similar, but it doesn't survive like that. So through Erica Wilson, through those pomegranates and through all of her other pieces that involve gold work, you can get a glimpse into the past. Go girl. I like amazing. This is an Erica Wilson love fest, but that's what it should be. Like, <laughs> well, you're talking about color yeah. though. One of the, and this is a little tangential, but it do goes it. back to what did she do that was so amazing here. Mm. What, what I, and I was doing a bunch of research, both working on the book and then working on other talks about Erica. If you look at, say, living rooms in the United States in 1970, they were beige. <laughs> and in fact, one of the images that's in the online exhibition is an ad uh, from Columbia Minerva that has all of uh, the walls are covered with her with her pieces, but it's a beige wall. <laughs> and mm. so what we have to do also is come forward and think about how it played even in the seventies, this amazing color that somehow it was okay to have these pops of color everywhere at a time when I think mostly there wasn't. <laughs> mm. That's such a good point. Yes. Oh my God, the beige wall is her canvas and she, she paints upon it with bright threads. Mm -hmm. This assumes quite a bit of stitching from you both. But Anne, I know you, at least you went to her, her seminars in Hilton Head. So I know you're a stitcher. And Vanessa, I know you do a fair bit, right? Am I cool? Yes, as much okay. as I have time for. Okay. Yeah. Relatable, first of all, very relatable. My question yeah. for you both as to stitching ladies is how and if it had has Erica Wilson stitching influenced your own and if so how can you feel her yeah her influence in your own needlework I would definitely I I'll, I'll start on that one and I'll give you a minute to think <laughs> um I would definitely say it has a big influence on my stitching because um, I tend to be very boring. My dad used to call me plain vanilla all the time because I like all my furniture to be white and, you know, everything to be very simple and so on. And, and um, they were definitely not that way. They were full of life and lots of color. And um, so when I'm stitching, you know, where I would want to have all these colors sort of, meld nicely together they're all like the same hues or values you know she would have been grabbing all this contrast to pop in there to to make things pop and so it really I think about that a lot as I'm stitching and as I'm pulling colors especially in the store for other customers mm -hmm. as well where you know that's something that I, I really took from her and learned from her is having that like you need that that sort of mucky brown to make the orange and yellows pop, you know, and that was an important piece of, of what she did in her work. And, and so I do use that when I am stitching. And then 
also, you know, adding stitches on my needlepoint canvas. I'm always adding stitches on my needlepoint canvases now. <laughs> I think rarely do I do a needlepoint where it's just straight basket weave anymore. I'm always adding a little embellishment here, a little touch mm -hmm. there. My background is, you know, it's. It, I'll try and do a big stitch that will mm -hmm. cover a lot, but actually ends up taking me longer because I'm counting it out and so on. So I'm not really doing it any faster than basket weaving the whole background, but, but I do that. And, and, um, and, and, and the other thing that she really taught me too was like, oh, if you hate it, you know, don't worry either, you know, keep going and work around it and don't worry about pulling things out or, 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 you know, just start fresh and all those creative mistakes are, are like part of the process. And so I definitely use that in my, my stitching now. So wholesome. That was a lovely answer. Thank you. Very wholesome. Thank you. <laughs> no, definitely it's, it's the can do approach and just, just start. And in fact, I had, when we were working on the book, I had written a sentence that said her, one of her famous sayings was all you have to do is start. And then I was doing the fact checking and I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> and I realized it was, I must have gotten it from somewhere, but I couldn't locate where I had it from. And part of, part of me says, no, it was just the message I had mm. um, that it wasn't, it wasn't in print anywhere. So that's probably the biggest, the biggest thing. It was also okay. Uh, and still is okay for me. I don't have to be the one who designs the project. Mm. Um, what, what, what was so, oh, I don't know, enabling maybe for me was that I could have a design ready to go and just stitch it because what I've always enjoyed is stitching and not what I find to be much more difficult, the mm -hmm. creation of a, of a design. And I'm Real just difficult. not good at it. And it's a disaster if I try to do it. <laughs> so, um, and the, the second thing I, I touched on this to start, but it's the notion that you can do this. I'm, I've now become, during, during COVID, I became a Japanese embroidery enthusiast. Mm. And I am struggling with phase eight, but I'm struggling with it online, which has been fabulous. The Japanese Embroidery Center in Atlanta is, um, it has, a, has a once a week Zoom lesson. So this is amazing for someone who, you know, cannot go to Atlanta and, and uh, it's been, it's been terrific. But if you had said to me, uh, Japanese embroidery, I, I would have said, no, no, <laughs> that's much too difficult. <laughs> so I think of Erica as being in my head saying, no, before you dismiss it, just give it a try. <laughs> That's so nice. A little tiny pocket Erica Wilson as a, as a motivator for all of your stuff. <laughs> Thank you both. Extremely wholesome answers. What do you think the role of needlework is in today's world? And I'm excited to hear from both of you because I do think, as we were saying, like Erica, Erica's legacy is present in that role. Um, but you also come from two very different sides of the needlework world. I think needlework in today's world is more important than it's ever been. Mm. I think people are so um, attached to all their, their devices 
that needlework gives people an opportunity now to put those devices down and have, you know, more connection either through just needle pointing on their own or in, in groups. And I'm finding through the store more and more groups of young people are getting together to needle point together and, and putting away their phone and not being on Instagram. I mean, yes, they do take a picture of their needle point and post it on Instagram, but they're away from their phones. And I think this is hugely important to have something that's like tactile and real and not in this cyber world. That's, it's just, I don't know. I think it's really changing people's brains and how our brains work. And, and there's just something, as I said before, you know, so meditative about needle pointing that, um, and relaxing and real that it, it I just, I don't know. I think it's, it, I think it really is more important than it's ever been in a way. And I, and, and I think that's why we're seeing such a big growth. I mean, we've been busier than we ever have in the shop and, and on our website on the needlework side, because I think, you know, I'm not alone in those feelings. Mm. People are, you know, appreciating it. Totally. That comes up a lot on this podcast. It's the, (laughs) it's the meditative, meditative, like repetition, but it's slow and it's tangible and it allows for a pace change. Yes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. I agree with all of it. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I'm curious what you have to say. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I will probably just try to repackage what you said, Vanessa. So <laughs> good. I'm, I'm glad no. I went first and not tried to come <laughs> well, after no, no, you. No, you said it. You said it well. So. Um, I think probably the reflecting on the past two years in particular, and it, you said, Isabella, that it, those have been the two years during which you've had the podcast mm. too. Um, whenever something really, really changes in the world or personal in personal worlds, I think people tend to get back to, and it depends obviously on their backgrounds and what they see themselves doing, but I think they get back to far slower things that yield a different experience and I think we've seen that so much with needlework in the past two years. And particularly we've seen so many more resources develop for needlework, which tells me that people need it more. I hate to bring politics into this, but then coming up on the January 6 hearings mm-hmm. and one of the stories we encountered when we were working on the Erica book was that during the water Gate impeachment hearings in 73. Um, apparently, uh, Edie and her store colleagues would know when there was a, a break in the hearings because everyone would rush into the store for more needlework. <laughs> Whoa! I'm rem- as we go into these hearings, I'm reminded of those hearings. Um, because it's, it also comes up not just in, in times of great change, but in times of huge stress. Mm. And um, we've all seen many examples of all of that <laughs> in the last several years. And I think it tends to just kind of bring people back to, okay, it's all right, I can do this. <laughs> so I, 
that's another way of saying what Vanessa said, but I think it, it really, it can, it, the market for it changes. One of the things that Erica did, of course, was um, go with the market in terms of different kinds of techniques. I mean, she had cross-stitched kits, she had all different kinds, she moved with the market. Um, so we might see different iterations of needlework. And sometimes we see quilting and knitting and, you know, as, as the big market leaders, but I think there's always some kind of handwork that evolves when people are having tough times. Mm. I think that's exactly right. That is such an interesting comparison to the Watergate hearings. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I mean, when the going gets tough, I think that we reach back to our not necessarily primal, but our definitely historic selves and want to touch, find comfort in the tangible. That's true. And it's so nice. I, okay. In preparation for this and for the ED interview, I've been watching a lot of Erica Wilson YouTube videos. Good. That, yes. And that's a beautiful thing because when it comes to that, when it circling back to the beginning of our conversation to the outreach and the distance learning that she was doing, my own version of that is watching her videos. And that means that like, I gained some comfort, even though my, I myself am not stitching in that moment, watching her stitch gives me the same sort of similar serotonin boost of the tangible and the slow and the controllable. How can people learn more about your work? And do you have anything you would like to promote? And I know there is stuff to promote, so hit me with it. Well, the one thing I want just to remind people of is the online exhibition that hopefully will endure <laughs> yes. um, because it is such a such a great look at Erica's career and and her body of work and again also at um at Linda Eaton's work and mm -hmm. groundbreaking and, and um thinking of Erica as and I think appropriately as producing museum pieces yeah so um, that I, I think bears looking at. So Vanessa. Oh boy. <laughs> well, it's been very exciting year this year for us um, mm. because we revamped the website to make it a little easier to shop, which has been a massive job. In, and um, we're thrilled to be able to have found all these wonderful vintage um, needlepoint canvases and um, finished pillows that that um, were all stored away in in the basement of the shop and and lots of her wonderful old books that we have now been able to put on the website so people can shop on the website Erica Wilson Vintage and find all this great product that that we discovered. So they were sort of exciting and looking to the future. Um, I'm bringing on um, another person to help me with the development of all the Erica Wilson private label items. So we're doing, we, what we're ideally would like to do is bring back some of her needlepoint designs, put it onto canvas and be able to offer it to, you know, to everyone through the shop and on the website. Um, so that's a work in progress. It's really fun. Um, and in the meantime, I've been really focused on designing a lot of, um, just 
great clothes that we've been doing in the shop that really have a nod to my mother. So the latest pattern that I've produced that I created and produced is called Nantucket Summer Garden. And it's really based on my mother's summer garden that she would plant in June. So this is perfect timing for our podcast because she would always be out in the garden in the, in the morning, you know, getting the soil ready. And um, we'd be helping her with planting. Um, her garden was so important to her, as you can tell throughout all her needlepoint um, mm-hmm. and needlework and cruel, you know, she did so many floral bouquets. And so it's really fun being able to take what she used to do and then actually do my interpretation of it you know, with a little bit of a nod to London to um, Liberty Fabrics. So this new print sort of like a little Liberty floral of Nantucket flowers. And we have them on dresses and pajamas and and little shorts. And um, so that's been exciting. And then I'll give you a little sneak peek. We're doing a whole bunch of smocking collection based on things that she used to smock. So that's coming. It's in the works now. Um, but it's been really fun looking back to her legacy and, and, and her creations and sort of taking them and modernizing them, interpreting them for today's society and, and for what me and I have three daughters, what we all would like to be wearing and, and but really looking to her for her, for her influence, because there's just such a plethora of great designs to work from. The San Francisco School of Needle and Needlework and Design um, is a both online and in-person um, student-centered teaching. Um, I don't know, institution is the right place, is the right name. And they are, offer all kinds of techniques and also ways into stitching that I think Vanessa and I agree would have appealed to Erica because there that you can take uh, little teeny small classes or you can take a whole set of classes. And um, one of the amazing things that Vanessa has done and has worked with the school who also is very interested in Erica's work and in maintaining her legacy, um, they have instituted something called a um, mentorship and technical certificate, which is using Erica's work as kind of a launch pad for women interested, not just in improving and learning technical skills, but also in developing their own businesses in needlework related subjects. So that it's not limited to just a particular kind of learning um, environment, but it's also to geared toward marketing. So that's a, a space that Erica would certainly inhabit if she were with us today. And Vanessa has been very generous in, in funding and also in um, allowing the use of Erica's name for this. So Vanessa, what, what do you wanna add? Yeah, I mean, we're just so happy to have sort of created this scholarship in my mother's name for the school and especially around the teachers that are so necessary in this world of needlework that we're, that we're living in. And that, um, so to be able to partner with them, we're just really excited um, about this and, and to see what's going to come of it and hopefully get some of these great teachers to then come to Nantucket and do a seminar and really follow in her footsteps, you know, but for today's world. 
it's, it's very exciting and um, kind of offers all of those possibilities just in an updated uh, milieu. <laughs> yeah, yes. that, is, that is absolutely lovely. And that mm-hmm. is so totally like we were saying earlier, so much of what we know to be needlework business and needlework creation now comes from Erica Wilson. And now that is coming full circle as well, that you are giving 21st century stitchers and teachers the opportunity to walk in her footsteps, to follow her path. So between the two of you, you have captured, like, you've created such a thorough world of Erica Wilson in the 21st century. There's an online exhibition. There's a book. There's clothes related to her, you know, and there's still all of her needlework. There's, you've crafted a very thorough legacy for her. So thank you both. Thank you for bringing us together. It's been so fun talking about her. And Well, I I want to say thank you to Vanessa again, because without Vanessa, none of this would have happened. So likewise to Anne. I mean, this is really, Anne has just done so much for us as a family and and for my mother. It's just amazing. (laughs) It has been a joy to interview you both. So thank you. But it's also been a joy to watch you two just be buds and collaborators. So thank you. Wasn't that a stellar interview? I think so. Not of my own part, but of Anne and Vanessa. I'm so grateful to them for talking to me about Erica Wilson's legacy. I love this idea that Erica Wilson was the first needlework influencer. I totally think she was. I am assuming you agree. There are a lot of themes I could draw on to conclude this episode. I could talk about what it means to have a legacy in needlework, or how Erica influenced contemporary stitchers, or the joy of color present in her designs. But I'm going to focus on something we talked about in the middle of our interview, the huge variety of stitches Erica used. I hadn't realized before talking to Anne and Vanessa the landscape of domestic hobby needleworking in 20th century America. The vast majority of decorative embroidery pictures being stitched were done in needlepoint. And truly, no hate, no shame to those who love needlepoint, but needlepoint involves iterations of just a single stitch, basically just a stitch that moves diagonally over a hole in a piece of canvas that looks like a grid. Needlepoint grew out of Berlin woolwork, which gained popularity in the 1840s. It really took me until the interview to realize that for more than a century, most Americans who were practicing needlework in their homes were limited to a family of basically one stitch. That's not a lot of variety. But then Erica Wilson came in and exploded the idea of needlepoint as the be-all, end-all of American hobby needlework. Gone were simple tent stitches. Hello to colorful canvases covered in a huge number of stitches, from feather stitch to bullion knots. Erica Wilson taught 61 stitches in her book Cruel Embroidery and 193 in Erica Wilson's embroidery book. And here they were, all these many stitches in gloriously bright colors. Erica Wilson turned 20th century domestic stitching on its head, and by doing that, hearkened back to previous centuries when domestic stitchers, typically girls and women, utilized an encyclopedic variety of stitches. For those who were doing needlework in 20th century America, Erica Wilson made embroidery needles sing. Goodbye to a singular stitch being repeated over and over again. The world of embroidery, its many stitches, and its thick gold threads and fuzzy little cruel yarns had expanded back to what it was before Berlin Woolwork took over the world. And Erica Wilson led that charge. How cool is that? I think that's the coolest.
And on that, I don't know, empowering, I think, maybe, note, I'll leave you for this week. Thank you to Anne and Vanessa for an informative, inspiring, and fun interview, and thank you to you all for listening. I'll be back soon with more stitchy goodness. Now go out and stitch some stories, and go check out Erica Wilson's rendition of Peaceable Kingdom, because it's really so cute. Bye! Thank you.